Hey, what is going on, Mets fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Mets Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Cudajar, and in this episode, we're talking Mets versus Marlins. All right, and what is up, Mets fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Mets Talk Podcast. Like I just said, I'm your host, Greg Cudajar, and I can't wait to get back into talking about the New York Mets. So, welcome back to another series recap and review episode. Yesterday, the Mets finished off a two-game series split with the Miami Marlins. In the first half, I'm going to break down each game looking at the pitching and hitting performances as usual, and then in the second half, I want to preview the biggest series series of the year coming up this weekend as the Mets travel to Atlanta with the division on the line. I'm really excited to get into talking about this Marlins series and the upcoming Brave series, so let's get into it, starting with Game 1 against the Marlins, and this was a crushing loss. The Mets fell 6-4. to I mean, I don't know. I'm going to get into it, but, you know, definitely... Not what the Mets needed to do, especially since it was just a two-game set against the Marlins. On the mound for the Mets was Carlos Carrasco, and he just did not have a good day. He pitched just three innings, giving up six hits, four runs, one walk, just two strikeouts. Gave up a home run, albeit a weird one, but you know, in the first inning, he just started off with a bad start, you know. Hitting the second batter he faced with a pitch, letting up two singles, which then allowed a, a sacrifice fly, then a walk, which loaded the bases up again, and then a, a wild pitch, a pitch down in the dirt, and that you know you know went right through McCann's legs, and that scored another run, putting the Mets down immediately two nothing. So just a really bad start, and the thing that you know to me was was you know kind of big was that his changeup just was not working. Basically, his changeup was just nowhere close to the strike zone, and obviously you can't just abandon it completely, but they went back to it. Him and McCann went back to it a bunch of times, and it just felt like in this first inning with the bases loaded, with runners already on, runners already home, that you needed to you know try a different tactic because the Marlins were on it, and you know that one that went through the legs, I mean, that was just a really, really frustrating pitch because it was just the same pitch that had you know, been thrown, I don't know, 10 times before, and none of them were anywhere close, and that was the one that finally bit him. So the Mets were down 2-0 very early in this game, and then two innings later, after, you know, a tough but, you know, scoreless second inning, in the third, he gave up a a double to Brian De La Cruz, who is just so, so hot right now, and, and he really beat the Mets bad in this series, but gave up a double, you know, Mets still down 2-0 at this point, and he gave up a home run, like I mentioned, to J.J. Belade, and it it was a, you know, probably the shortest home run you could possibly hit at City Field, but a home run nonetheless. Four runs in at that point in the third inning. The Mets down 4 nothing, and, I mean, it was just crushing, and what's you know, frustrating was that, like I mentioned, but in last ep- in the last episode, is that this this was such a huge game, such a huge series, and to get started out like that, you know, for nothing against a team that is not known for their hitting, they're known for their pitching. Um, to have those struggles against these young guys, a lot of them who had just come up in the past month or two, really frustrating. And for Carrasco, I think that relegates him to the bullpen for the postseason. I mean, I'm going to talk about Walker, who had a a solid game in game two, but I I think that start 
I mean, unless something were to happen in the next week or so, I think that, you know, Carrasco's your guy in the bullpen. And I think he's a great option out of the bullpen. I mean, he's had a very solid year for the Mets, but his past month has just not been great. After after Carrasco, Trevor Williams came in. He had a, a decent outing, pitched two innings, gave up three hits, two runs, did have two strikeouts. You know, Williams, uh, he was able to get through the fourth scoreless, did a nice job there, one, two, three. But in the top of the fifth, after the Mets had started to come back, he allowed a double, a hit by pitch, and then two batters later, a single to load the bases, and then a single into right field, scoring two runs and putting the Mets down by three at that point. He was able to get a double play right after that, which was nice, but, you know, just really crushing there at that point, right after the Mets had made a comeback and, and looked like they were right back in this game to give up those runs, just really buried the Mets in this game and and. Yeah, basically, that was it. That was all the scoring the Marlins did, luckily, though, because David Peterson pitched two scoreless innings, which is huge for the Mets if he can come out and do that. You know, if he can be that lefty out of the pen, you know, depending on what happens with Joely Rodriguez and, you know, how he's pitching in the next week. You know, Peterson could be a great, great lefty option out of the pen, so nice job there. Tyler McGill did a nice job. He did walk two batters, so he he had some trouble, but he was able to navigate it, two strikeouts in a scoreless inning. Then Edwin Diaz came in in the ninth inning. You know, the game was still close, and he needed to get some work in, hadn't pitched since the series against the Brewers, so he needed to come in there. Pitched an inning, gave up a hit, and struck out three guys, 19 pitches, Really, really nice job by Diaz. You know, after Carrasco and Williams, the pitching staff did a nice job, but, you know, it wasn't enough. And, you know, turning to the offense, the the Mets offense really failed this team as well. You know, they, you know, seven hits, that that's pretty good. You know, able to get those seven hits and score four runs, but, you know, not much working. There was offense all around. The first four guys in the, the lineup, Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, and Alonzo, each had a hit with McNeil having two. Um, Mark Hanna and James McCann were the only other guys to have a hit in this game. So, you know, there were a couple guys in here that had, that had offers in the lineup, which, you know, is obviously frustrating. The, the bulk of the Mets offense came in the fourth inning when, you know, going up against Pablo Lopez, someone who the Mets have played well against in the past, but I don't know, I just had a feeling that maybe he was going to turn it around, and and unfortunately he did, but against Lopez, after a single from Nemo and a, a Lindor double, two batters later, Alonzo crushed his 40th homer of the year, which, you know, as tough as this game was, that is such a, a achievement for Alonzo to reach 40 home runs for the second time in his career, crushed a homer to left field, pulling the Mets right back in it, six to, or at that point it was four to three, so, you know, Mets right back in this game right behind there but like I said Williams gave up two more runs and you know six to three the Mets kind of were out of it at that point they did score in the eighth inning on a, a pretty wild series of events McNeil reached on an infield single and then three balks were called which you never see that got him all the way around to score so it's not like anyone on the Mets drove him home they were sort of handed a run in that sense and you know it was just frustrating the Mets really didn't have a lot of guys on, to be honest. They went only one for two with runners in the scoring position, so they didn't even have that many chances. Only three guys left on base. It just really felt like a, a lax day. You know, no one drew any walks. They just didn't seem like they had it. And, you know, their at-bats seemed sort of lazy and lax. And like I said, with the pitching staff giving up what they did, putting themselves in a hole, it felt like the energy was sapped from this team. And this was a pretty monumental loss you know I mentioned how important this this Miami series was with the the Braves who are 
neck and neck with the Mets in the division, playing the Nationals, who they've had their number all season. The Braves won and the Mets lost, and at that point, it it created a tie in the division at the top of the division. And, you know, that was extremely frustrating since this was a winnable game, since this was a close game. And, you know, just the combination of tough starting pitching and no one really getting, you know, significant, you know, success at the plate. Just a frustrating game. But that takes us to game two, which was the complete opposite. Well, you know, let me hold it right there because it was a frustrating game. But, you know, I mean, with the way it ended, this was probably one of the biggest wins that the Mets had when they won 5-4 to four in extra innings. So starting with the pitching, as I mentioned, Tywin Walker was on the mound, and I thought he had a really solid outing. He pitched five innings, gave up six hits, three runs, two walks, eight strikeouts. He gave up one home run, and as I mentioned, Brian De La Cruz really owned the Mets in this game. He went three for four and drove home two runs. He also had a single and a double, and that was all off of Walker. The, the runs Walker gave up, he gave up a home run in the fourth inning, a two-run shot. It was a nice pitch by Walker, but De La Cruz, just is so strong, was able to take it to right center field and drove home two runs, putting the Mets down 2 nothing early. And then, you know, Walker did a really nice job bouncing back. He, he got into some major trouble in the fifth inning. He gave up a single, then struck a guy out. Another single, struck a guy out. Then walked the next batter with two outs, which loaded the bases, bringing up Brian Anderson, and on a 3-2 pitch was able to strike him out with a nasty splitter in low and inside. So a really nice job there by Walker to, to get through that inning. But... You know, he was left in. I, I don't know if it was the best decision. He gave up a walk, and then De La Cruz came up and immediately doubled. So, you know, a very tough spot there. Walker was, you know, eventually removed in the sixth inning. I don't know if maybe it was the best idea to let him go back out there, especially with De La Cruz, who had his number on the docket to come up. But, you know, definitely frustrating. Uh, Seth Lugo ended up giving up a sacrifice fly, which allowed that run to score, which is why it's credited to to Walker, but overall I thought Walker had a, a nice game, and, and as I mentioned with Carrasco, I think the, the opposite way, I think this game, you know, it wasn't perfect, but eight strikeouts, you know, navigating that fifth inning, obviously gave up a couple runs, but, you know, I think overall this game to me solidified Walker in the four spot. You know, obviously that's subject to change. There's still games left. They're still going to probably get one more start each before the end of the season. But to me, Walker right now is the number four and, you know, recency bias, obviously, but we'll see what happens. But I do think Walker had a pretty solid game in this game. Seth Lugo came in. He pitched two innings. As I mentioned, he gave up that sacrifice fly, but then he also went back out in the seventh inning and allowed a run in there after a walk. He gave up a two-out double, which was definitely frustrating. It seemed like he was about to get out of that inning, but unfortunately, he didn't. I mean, at that point, the Mets were down for nothing, and it kind of felt like the, the day before. It felt like the the... Same story, down for nothing. The Mets are just gonna get, you know, rolled over by the the Marlins and just not come out and play. And you know, I, I'm gonna get into the offense, but it was a similar story at first. But behind Lugo, the rest of the bullpen was outstanding. Adam Onavino pitched a scoreless inning with two strikeouts. Edwin Diaz came up in a huge spot in the ninth inning with the game tied. 
One inning, three strikeouts, awesome job there. And then Drew Smith coming in in extras with the Ghost Runner on, pitching a scoreless inning with two strikeouts. I mean, that is huge. You know, Drew Smith had a, a tough return from the injured list, giving up that grand slam in Milwaukee. But, you know, this was a huge outing for him. And to hold the Marlins to no runs with that Ghost Runner on second base, outstanding job. So overall, the the pitching staff in this game did a really, really nice job. Now, turning to the offense, <laughs> and like I said, the offense, I don't know, they had a, a bit of a mixed game because really their entire offense was driven by one man, and that was Eduardo Escobar, who went three for five with five runs batted in, all of the Mets runs were from Escobar. I will say that Jeff McNeil went two for four, which was nice to see. Francisco Lindor had a hit as well. Tomas Nito had a hit, but that was it. Those were the only guys who had hits. The team had chances to score. They went two for eight with runners in scoring position. Frustrating there, of course, and left 10 guys on base because they did draw some walks. Nimmo drew two walks. Alonzo, Canna, McNeil, Vientos, Guillaume, all of them drew walks. So there were guys on base, but you know, a little frustrating. It was definitely frustrating for the first six innings of their at-bats. They didn't look good. It looked like the game before. They just didn't look like they were really up there taking, you know, solid at-bats. And Jesus Lazardo was was really mowing them down. You know, especially the, the, the worst inning, I think, that we saw was in the sixth inning when, you know, you had the, the heart of the Mets order, Alonzo Lindor Canna, three strikeouts, and two of them were looking. One of them for Canna, it was a, a pitch right on the corner, tough pitch, but I don't know, extremely, extremely frustrating. But in the seventh inning, things started to turn around. McNeil singled and Escobar, homer to left field, cutting the lead in half. It was 4 nothing. now it was 4-2. to two. Then, in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Mets loaded the bases with one out off of three walks. McNeil popped out the shortstop on the first pitch, which was definitely like a, oh, man, first pitch and, and there's two outs already. But Eduardo Escobar batting righty, single to the right side. Nimmo scored from third. Alonso came all the way around from second base, tying this game. Escobar now had driven in four runs and tied this game single-handedly in the eighth inning. The bottom of the ninth, the Mets had a chance with the one-out double from Tomas Nito, but were not able to get him home. But in the bottom of the tenth inning, after the Marlins intentionally walked McNeil to get the Escobar, he made them pay. Driving a single to left field, Lindor, who was the ghost runner, came all the way around. You know, a one-out single making them, you know, regret their decision to walk McNeil. Driving home his fifth run of the day and walking off the Marlins. You know, this was a huge, huge win. Outside of the fact that the Nationals actually walked off the Braves as well, which, you know, obviously benefits the Mets in the division. But this was just a great game for morale, I think, too. And for Escobar, who's just such a great guy. I mean, he is awesome watching his interviews, watching him, you know, cheer with the fans and you know everyone was bringing up when he he mentioned a couple months ago when he was in his just major slump him saying you know I'm gonna give him something to cheer about and that he did and you know such a great game from him and such a good job by the Mets and you know Escobar especially and and the pitching staff to battle back you know seventh inning there's only only a couple more outs left to work with and the Mets were able to come all the way back from down four win this game and you know have some hopefully positive momentum heading into a huge series coming up this weekend. So now that I've gone over the two games of this Miami series, I now want to dive into the upcoming Brave series because this is 
quite frankly, the biggest series of the year that the Mets are going to play in the regular season. I mean, while this isn't the last series, and believe me, that series against the Nationals, it's going to be a very important series as well. But, you know, this really will be the determining factor in who's going to win the NL East. I think generally you're going to have a pretty good idea by Sunday night after Sunday night baseball where the you know the Mets are going to be taking on the Braves I think you're going to have a good idea of who is going to win the division whether it's going to be the Mets or the Braves and you know overall as a baseball fan this is exciting we watched something similar last year with the uh, Dodgers and the Giants battling it out and the Giants were able to take the division So it's an exciting series just for baseball, but, you know, this is it. This is the the crucial series for the Mets, and they need to go out there and look to try and take this series. Uh, You know, on top of, obviously, the just importance of winning the division, there are, I believe, three important things to just keep in mind heading into this series. The first one is the potential to clinch the tiebreaker. So currently, the Mets have a 9-7 record against the Braves this season, which means that with just one win in this series, the Mets will clinch the season series against Atlanta and the tiebreaker. So, you know, if they were to go 1-2 and in this series, they would have a 10-9 record against the Braves and thus have the tiebreaker. And having the tiebreaker this season is particularly huge compared to the seasons past where it didn't matter as much because there's no... No game 163. Now, if you're tied at the end of game 162, if you're tied at the end of the day next Wednesday, then whoever has that tiebreaker, whoever is leading in the season series, is going to take the division. So, you know, obviously, you you don't want the Mets to go out there and get swept at all, but it's essential for the Mets to take at least one game in this series. If they get swept, I think that's it. I think if the the Mets get swept in this series against the Braves, you can kind of kiss the division goodbye. With the amount of games left, it just it's not probably not going to happen. So you know, Mets need to make sure they're out there playing hard. Obviously, you know, Mets need to you know really go out there, make sure they try and get that one win at the very least. I mean, two games would be huge for this team, but one game will ensure that they clinch a tiebreaker against the Braves, and I think that is extremely important to keep in mind. The second thing I want to know is the huge element of the weather and the, the presence of Hurricane Ian. And first things first, I mean, this situation, Hurricane Ian, is obviously much bigger than baseball, and my thoughts and prayers go out to anyone down south who's going to be affected by these storms. You know, hurricanes are no joke, and, and they can be really really damaging so you know obviously that is a much bigger deal than baseball turning to this series and how it might be affected by hurricane ian because it's hitting the south there's a potential for the weather to have some real implications in you know the scheduling of how this series goes and some Possible contingency plans are moving Friday's game, tomorrow night's game, to the afternoon to avoid some rains. They've also discussed a doubleheader on Sunday, and also the possibility of, if none of that's possible, a makeup game on October 6th, which would be the Thursday after the final game of the season. Now, frankly, none of those options sound great. I mean, moving Friday's game up is probably the best possible situation, but a doubleheader, I mean, for both teams is really, you know, just 
uh, a really rough way to have to settle this battle for the division because now you're making your players play two games in one day. You have to shift all your pitching around. Your bullpen now gets taxed. You can't really use guys back and forth. I mean, I'm sure both Buck Walter and Brian Snicker are going to be extremely aggressive in this series, but, you know, it's definitely not ideal. And then to make up the game on Thursday, October 6th, would be the worst possible option because, you know, say you're the Mets and you don't take the series and you don't take the division and you have to play in the wild card series now. Well, that series starts on Friday. So <laughs> you're now going to have to just play right into the wild card series with no days off. So, I mean, if you talk about, you know, your pitching being screwed up during a, a double header, imagine having to go into a playoff series after playing essentially a playoff game the day before. And, you know, you'd like to obviously, you know, if that game, if that October 6th game is the determining factor, well, I mean, you're probably going to pitch one of your top guys. I don't know who the Mets would go to there, but you'd also want one of your top guys to start the wild card series. So as you can see, the weather has a, a real big impact. At the moment, it seems like it's going to be played as planned, but, you know, there's the potential for it to be changed. You know, rumors are out there that, you know, this has the potential, you know, to affect the series and or changes could be made to the series up until, you know, Friday morning, tomorrow morning. So, you know, this is a fluid moving situation and you can't control the weather, obviously, but definitely big, big, big implications one way or the other. And the final thing I want to note is the playoff atmosphere that's going to be happening in this series. I mean, this series is probably going to be the Mets' first taste of what to expect in terms of playoff atmosphere because you know that Atlanta is going to have three sold-out crowds for each one of these games. And the Mets and Braves both have their top starters going this weekend. The The first matchup tomorrow night is Jacob deGrom versus Max Fried. The Mets move Jacob deGrom up to this game. It's clear that both teams understand, and, and rightfully so, understand the importance of these three games, and they're not messing around. So, you know, this series is going to feel like a playoff series, and it essentially is. I mean, it's it's a battle for what seeding you're going to basically be. Are you going to be playing in the wild card series, or are you going to win the division and get the bye? So, for both of these teams, this is huge, and the, this is a, a huge set of games. Now, like I said last episode, as much as it would be nice to not have to be battling this late in the season and to have, you know, everything wrapped up, let guys rest for a little while, you know, obviously that's nice, but I think this is a good chance to feel that playoff energy, to feel that playoff pressure early because a lot of the Mets' major contributors have never played in a playoff game before. You've got Nimmo, Alonzo, Diaz, Guillaume, Nito, Drew Smith, McNeil, Trevor Williams, Seth Lugo, Tyler McGill, David Peterson. So, I mean, there's a ton of guys on this team, a ton of really, you know, impactful guys on this team who have never touched the playoffs before. And, you know, you can't simulate that. You can't just you know, go right into a playoff series and say, hey, here you go. Like, just accept this pressure. You don't really get that in many games during the regular season, but I think that this series is a really good chance to, you know, feel that playoff atmosphere, feel the crowd, especially a, a, an opposing stadium. It's good to get that as well, to feel what that's going to be like. Um, you know, to be in an opposing stadium, to be with three sellout crowds, to, to deal with, you know, the pressure of 
it's not win or go home, but it's win or you've made things extremely difficult on yourself. So I think that this is both going to be a really interesting test to see how these guys hold up in this pressure-packed environment, but also a great chance to feel out the experience of a playoff game before actually playing in a playoff game. I think then, you know, the at least the silver lining is that, you know, this isn't a playoff game. So even if you weren't able to win the series, you're still going to the playoffs. I mean, obviously, like I said, you've made things way more difficult on yourself, but you can at least go into next week and say, okay, let's re reassess. How do we deal with that pressure? How do we, you know, what can we do better? And, you know, if you go out there and play well, you can say, okay, let's do this again. So, you know, either way, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a huge series, obviously. And I think it will be important for a lot of these guys who haven't experienced playoff baseball to get that, you know, almost playoff baseball feel in these three games. So as usual, I want to finish off this episode by turning to the pitching matchups. Obviously subject to change based on the weather, but you know it's going to be a big series with the big, big arms on the mound. Starting with Game 1, Jacob DeGrom going up against Max Freed, who is 13-7 with a 2-5-0 ERA. Then on Saturday night, it's going to be Max Scherzer taking on... Kyle Wright, who is 20-5 with a 3-1-8 ERA. And then finally, on Sunday, like I said earlier, Sunday Night Baseball, it's going to be Chris Bassett against Charlie Morton, who is 9-6 with a 4-2-9 ERA. I mean, just to finish up, I'm excited. No matter what happens, I'm excited to see just some great, you know, playoff-esque baseball. And, you know, Mets got to go in there and just handle business. Need to go in there. Can't let the pressure get to them. Just need to go out there and play ball. So that is going to be all for this episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I love interacting with other Mets and baseball fans. And you can reach me at my Twitter, at PodMets. Tweet me your thoughts about the Mets, about baseball. I love talking about the sport. So I'd love to hear from you all on Twitter, at PodMets. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, let's go Mets.